0: This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by The Cuesta Verde Estates Start your new life at Cuesta Verde Where the grass is greener on every side Under the altar where the stevens Ancient goblers and wallows Come at the grand light making a scent The smell of death is on the rails not when the cold wind blows no one cares, knows. hello my name is chris
1: my name is kelsey and
0: this is pod cemetery where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are this week a double feature <laughs> It's 1982's Poltergeist and 2015's Poltergeist. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show?
1: Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. Both my questions are very easy this week. Okay. What Pirates of the Caribbean actor appeared in 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street?
0: Johnny Depp. That
1: is correct.
0: Hmm. All right, Kelsey, I got one for you. Okay. Okay. What is the phrase Wendy finds repeatedly typed on the entire manuscript of her husband, Jack, in The Shining, 1980?
1: All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy.
0: That is correct. Good ones. We got easy ones to start the show today. And there are birds chirping outside. I wonder if they're going to get picked up by the recording. (laughs) All right, Kelsey. Starting with the poltergeist from 1982, Written by Steven Spielberg, Michael Grays, and Mark Victor, with story by Steven Spielberg, directed by Toby Hooper, <laughs> and starring Joe Beth Williams, Heather O'Rourke, and Craig T. Nelson. What is Poltergeist about?
1: A suburban family unknowingly have their house on a burial ground.
0: Spoilers.
1: Yes, and the spirits are stuck there.
0: All right. Okay. Should people watch 1982's Poltergeist? Yes. Yes. I mean, come on. Yes.
1: It is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. You should see it.
0: Absolutely. It's lots of fun. (laughs) It's just definitive, right? Like, so, yeah, watch it. Watch it. If you haven't watched it already, watch it now. (laughs) And when we get back, we will talk about 1982's Poltergeist. In Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg went beyond our world.
1: Safety and comfort of an average home. Good
0: night. He crosses a frightening new threshold. What is it? Into another world. Poltergeist. It knows what scares you.
1: Poltergeist. Rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater
0: near you. Kelsey, how does Poltergeist begin? Can you get us started?
1: We open on back when television used to turn itself off at A certain time.
0: Yes. It's called the signing off. And television stations, if you didn't know, didn't used to be 24 hours because they thought, well, that's pointless. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's watching at these hours. So late at night, they would uh, play a little... Tune with a video package And then they would go off the air
1: Yeah so they're playing the national anthem And they show like imagery Of like our most famous monuments Etc And the
0: American flag waving And then <laughs>
1: <laughs> And we looked snow. it up When did that end?
0: Uh, sometime in the in the 80s uh, When they, they discovered that Hey we don't have to go off the air We can sell this time and that's when infomercials started. But before infomercials were actually either illegal outright or a legal gray area. And so once it was determined that it was legal to sell airtime to a company to do like a half hour commercial, they just started doing that. They just started airing infomercials. This is the era that I grew up in and that I know. I remember like, pick up the phone. We can have a really good time. We we For like sex lines and shit. And then there was like Ron Popeil selling his stuff and all sorts of infomercials. Now you got to watch the home shopping network to get that kind of stuff. I don't know if our infomercials still as uh, keenly used anymore. I don't even know.
1: On regular TV, mm-hmm. so non-cable, yeah. yes, they still do infomercials. I know that because a lot of my kids have seen them. So I find it interesting that you're saying that it ended in the 80s, because aside from this movie, I've only ever seen it in one other film, and that is Curly Sue, and that came out in
0: 1991. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't like a flip a switch and then every channel started doing it. Wow.
1: I do not remember that at all. Yeah. Either it was before my time or it was before I was staying up that late.
0: And then on cable, we started having 24-hour networks. And so, yeah. So you just get snow, which is when the TV is on and it's turned to a channel, but it's not receiving a signal.
1: Which you can still find if you have a television that is supposed to have regular cable, but like you're not paying for it.
0: Right, that's the cable box sending you that transmission, though. It's not your TV doing it. Back then, that was your TV. Hmm. Yeah, because, like, our TV is literally on right now, but there's no signal getting to it. It's just a black screen. It shows what input we're on, and it says no signal. Like, that's <laughs> it. That's what TVs do nowadays. Uh, but, yeah, they used to be called uh, the snow or white noise, that but kind
1: like, of But, like, on my TV at my school, if you play around with the channels, you'll get snow. Yeah. So, we get to meet all of the family members through the dog. So, the dog, whose name is E-Buzz.
0: E-Buzz, which is, <laughs> it's a reference to a program on Saturday Night Live that Dan Aykroyd would do where he would, in one scene, he would show art. <laughs> And it was all naked ladies. But since it was, like, fine art, he'd be allowed to show it on television. And he'd just point out how, you know, talk about, oh, isn't this nice art? Yeah, look, look at the boobies, you know? <laughs> like that's, that was that was E-Buzz. That is what this dog is, is named after. E-Buzz Miller is his full name, and he had Art Classics, uh, Exercise World, just a bunch of different programs. He was a recurring character on Saturday Night Live. Good evening. Welcome to Public Access Cable, Channel D. This is Art Classics. I'm your host, E-Buzz Miller. This one here is an impressionistic piece. This is by Manet, or Manet, impressionist French guy. And now this is a very famous painting, art classic called Le Déjeuner Sur l'Arbre," which means picnic in the woods. Now, if you look close, these two guys here are having lunch, and this brat hasn't got a stitch on. Bon appétit, boys.
1: And through the dog, we see, like I said, the characters. So the father is asleep in his chair. The mother is asleep in her bed. We meet the eldest sister who, who the dog eats the chips from, and then there are the younger boy and the youngest daughter.
0: So we should probably let's let's just go real quick through this this cast now that we've met the whole family, okay? So Craig T. Nelson, coach, as I know him, is playing Steve Freeling. He's the the father. Joe Beth Williams is playing Diane Freeling. She is the mom. Dominique Dunn plays the eldest daughter, Dana Freeling. Uh, Oliver Robbins plays Robbie Freeling, the young boy. And Heather O'Rourke plays Carol Ann Freeling, the youngest daughter. The two daughters would die shortly after the making of this movie.
1: The eldest daughter would die, I think, within a month of this movie.
0: Coming out. Coming
1: out. The younger daughter didn't die until after the third movie.
0: Oh, okay. But it's a curse, I tell you. It's a curse. Yes.
1: Let's just get that out of the way. Bad deaths uh, associated with these films. So, like right after this movie came out, the eldest daughter was murdered by her boyfriend.
0: Yeah, it's awful. who she broke. She broke up with him, and then he murdered her. Yes, he strangled her until she went brain dead.
1: Yes. After the second movie, the bad guy died. Now he was older. But still, he had, like, some crazy, like, brain embolism or something. Yeah, but
0: that happens. It does. Like, the thing. It
1: does. But he was, they, the the comment is that he was too young for it to have happened
0: to (sighs) him. People in their 20s die of embolisms. It just happens.
1: And then in the, after the third movie, the girl, Carol Ann, who I think at the time was then 10, died of some crazy thing, like a. Crazy stroke or something. No, it was like
0: intestinal or something. I actually have it here. Hold on. Yeah, she died of intestinal stenosis six years later. Yeah, so, I mean, it is kind of weird that two young people both died, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, don't believe there's an actual curse, but it is it is very coincidental, and it is very sad.
0: They are both buried in Westwood Memorial Park in Los Angeles. As this movie also does take place, a big bulk of it actually... Is in Simi Valley huh. is is where it's filmed. I have family that lives in Simi Valley.
1: We can assume that that was like a Friday night because the next day everyone is home and they
0: comment on the fact that it's not a school day. So, Well, that night, we didn't talk about it, that night as the dad falls asleep to the channel going off the air, Heather O'Rourke, Carol Ann, she gets up and walks downstairs and stares at the the static on the screen and, and then starts talking, talking to, to it. it. And then she's yelling at it and, and stuff, but like not like upset, but just like being very vocal. And so uh, all, everyone in the house wakes up and they all walk downstairs and they're like, what's going on? And then Craig T. Nelson is already awake by the time they get downstairs and he's just watching her.
1: Yeah, she says like five. No. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Hello?
0: What do you look like? How loud! I can't hear you. Hey, hello, hello! I can't hear you. Five.
1: Yes. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. And then she puts her hands up on the TV. Yeah, and that is a very famous shot. That is what the the cover art is. So, yeah, but that's not when she says her famous line. That no, comes it's later. not. That is later. So, next day we see that they live in a very typical suburban neighborhood. I mean, like it looks a lot like the neighborhood I lived in when I, from like five to, to nine.
0: Yeah, little boxes made from tiki tacky.
1: Yes, and um, there's kids everywhere. And there's this old fat guy uh, carrying a huge thing of beer.
0: Yeah, and the kids chasing him down with their remote control cars.
1: What a bunch of little I pricks. Know. I know. <laughs> I just don't like kids. But they he doesn't even, smoke.
0: he's more concerned with saving the beer than he is being mad at the kids. So he comes running through the house with the beer kind of shooting everywhere out of holes in the cans.
1: And they're watching a football game on their tiny little television. Yes. <laughs> It's so funny. So
0: then there's a fight between the two homes of the with the remote. Now here's the problem. Here is the problem is that early 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 remotes had cables attached to them. After that they were uh infrared which sent a beam out and had to be caught by an infrared sensor on the TV. I
1: remember you had to specifically yes. point it at the TV or it wouldn't work.
0: Yeah, and then there's some that do work on radio frequencies, so that may be what's going on here where it's a radio frequency that sends outwards and then is picked up by a receiver and if you have the same remote and same type of television, theoretically they could like, interfere with each other. And so the the two houses are fighting over each other. One wants to watch the football game with all the guys at Coach's house, and then their neighbor is trying to watch...
1: Mr. Rogers. Mr.
0: Rogers. Now, here's the problem with that. (laughs) If they both just manually change the channel to the channel they want... Neither of them, like, they don't have to watch the same program. Mm-hmm. The remote just tells it channel up or down. It doesn't tell it what channel to go to. So <laughs> if you just both start on the right channel that you want, you never have to do anything. Stop fighting.
1: Yeah, it's, it, the the neighbor subplot is very pointless. They show up a total of three times. Yep. This is their first time. They sh- they'll show up two more times.
0: Kind of great every time, though.
1: They're funny, yes, yeah. <laughs> but like it's a totally pointless subplot. Like yeah. it makes – like why is it there? <laughs> it's just I don't tr- know. They're
0: just trying to be like, hey, these are this is a normal family, you know, just fighting with the neighbors and, and all of that. I do remember I had a TV that was literally I, – I need to explain to you guys my ancient TV. <laughs> it actually had a remote, so it wasn't that ancient. But it had buttons all the way down the side. So you had a little push-in, pull-out thing for power, and you turn that for volume – and then there was a button for every channel. So...
1: I remember those. 2, three,
0: four, five, seven, nine, uh, 10, and... Th- I don't even know if it got channel 13 at that time. I don't even remember. But it had a remote that was all of two buttons. You needed to flip a switch on the back of the TV, and then it would operate via the remote, and the buttons would stop working. And uh, it had two buttons. One was volume and power... And then the other was channel. And so you would you would turn it on, and it would be at its maximum volume. And you had to press volume to go down, 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 down. And then it would turn off. <laughs> and then you would press it again, and it would turn on at its maximum volume. <laughs> so if you wanted to turn it up, you needed to turn it all the way down, turn it off, and then turn it back on again, and then fi- turn it down to the volume that you wanted. And then there was another button that would change the channel and it would just cycle through all the channels. Then it would start over again. And there were only so many channels that I just rattled off to you. But every time you turn the TV off and back on again, it would start back at channel two. So like.
1: I do remember that. I remember that at hotels and I remember that at my grandparents' house.
0: Yeah. So imagine you Gen (laughs) Zers. What it was like for us millennials and Gen Xers.
1: Meanwhile the mother finds that her youngest daughter Carol Ann's bird has died Tweety Yes and she's going to uh, flush it down the toilet but Carol Ann sees it happening and she gasps and so she decides they're going to bury it and they put her into a bo- They put the the bird into a box
0: Oh, this scene, it's so sweet. It's
1: very sweet. She puts in a thing of licorice for when it's hungry. She puts in a picture for when it's lonely. She puts in a blanket for when it's bedtime. Yeah. But but funny enough, she says Tweety doesn't like the way it smells in there. And we'll find out later why that she doesn't like that smell out of that particular box. And so they go to bury it in the backyard, and they have an enormous backyard.
0: Yeah, is
1: very large. That's That'd big. be nice.
0: Yeah, and they're they're building a pool yes. in there.
1: They go to bury it, and the other two kids are out there, and they watch. And she, and then immediately she's like, "Can I get a goldfish now?" Very much like a little kid would do. Yeah. Later that evening, they're going to bed, and we get to, uh, we get a better look at Carol Ann and the boy Robbie's um, room. And it is filled with Star Wars memorabilia because this well, it's
0: they share a room. Yes, Caroline and Robbie do.
1: But it's filled with Star Wars memorabilia because this was made by Steven Spielberg, who and was he, very good friends and, yeah, with yeah, George, George Lucas. Lucas. There is also an Alien poster on the wall, which. I don't understand why this kid would have an alien poster because the whole idea is that their their son is a little on the cowardly side. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure alien would terrify him. But so Robbie has these uh, Star Wars sheets that my brother had.
0: Yeah. My brother uh-huh.
1: had the exact same Star Wars sheets. So that's always been kind of fun uh-huh. for me.
0: And they also have a C-3PO light switch plate mm-hmm. that fits over the light switch and you move the whole head up and down to turn mm-hmm. the lights on and off.
1: <laughs> but they also have the famous creepy clown sitting in a chair, staring at them. Yep. Now
0: people bought weird shit for kids back then. I
1: mean, I have dolls that people would think are creepy. Yeah. I don't personally think that doll is creepy until it comes alive.
0: Can't sleep. Clown will eat me. Can't, Can't sleep. Clown, will eat, clown
1: me. will eat me. Which is why I totally believe that this this clown would be sitting in this room.
0: Totally. 100% believable.
1: So, meanwhile, the parents are in the bedroom getting high while they're, all their kids are in the house. Like, yeah. that's the weird thing. Like, I'm like, you wouldn't, like, go outside, but they do. Um, and we see that it's the same type of box that they put Tweety it's a, in. It's a cigar
0: box, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it so. smells like, alternately, cigars and weed.
1: <laughs> Which probably doesn't smell very yeah. good.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The mother is very concerned about... Carol Ann because she thinks that she's sleepwalking and she tells a story about how when she was a kid, she also sleptwalked into some dude's car and like they had to take the guy into jail. You said
0: it the same way that she did. Sleptwalked. You know, once I sleepwalked four blocks. <laughs> it's one word. Sleepwalking is one word. So it's you would have sleepwalked.
1: <laughs> Sounds wrong. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God. What if she sleepwalks into the pool? Yeah. Which is a serious concern. Uh-huh. We we have friends who have a pool and they have kids and you've got to have.
0: Some sort of fence up. Yeah, yeah because uh... it
1: is. It's a scary thing. Kid wanders into the pool and falls in and then drowns. Yeah. I mean, that's what almost happens in Beethoven.
0: Wow. <laughs> A real thing. What a pull!
1: <laughs> uh, so, but the father immediately is like, "No, no, no, no! You can't, you can't think about that stuff." And like, he immediately starts joking around with her to change the subject. And I think one of the greatest things about this movie is that these people feel. Real. Oh
0: yeah, the conversations that they're having when he's talking about how he used to dive. In 10 feet, it creates an air pocket. And you just, <laughs> and swan. <laughs> like, it's really, it's really believable and they laugh at each other at the appropriate places and it all feels very genuine.
1: And they feel like a real family. Like, when yeah. they're talking to their kids, it feels like there's they're, they're, they're real children. Yes. It's really, really well acted and well written. And well directed. So then, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, Starting to get kind of frisky. And in walks the young boy, Robbie. <laughs>
0: He's scared because there's a storm out.
1: And there's a really creepy looking tree right outside of their window that is knocking against their window because of the storm.
0: Yeah, and and Craig T. Nelson is telling him, hey, you know what, it's an old tree. It's been here a long time. It'll be here long after we leave. It's here and it's watching over us. It's protecting us, you know. And,
1: and I love the kid's response. It sees me. It knows I live here. Yeah. Because kids say weird shit like uh-huh. that. And it's like, you have to dive back into the child inside of you to understand what they're saying. And then it makes sense. But like, if you just heard a kid saying that, you'd be like, whoa.
0: Yeah. Uh huh.
1: You know? And it, again, it just feels very real. But before he does, he throws his jacket over the clown.
0: Because he doesn't like, the clown. yeah. He already who sits in a chair right at the foot of his bed, yeah.
1: And he throws his back his jacket on it, and the jacket has a big picture of Chewbacca <laughs> on the bag,
0: which is a liked. big advertisement for Star Wars. Remember, this movie came out in 1982, so Empire Strikes Back had already come out, and Return of the Jedi would be coming out the next year.
1: <laughs> the father explains that the the storm is going to pass over them. Because if you count in between the thunder and the lightning, if you can go further and further, that means it's going further away. Is that true?
0: Yes. So the reason is, is that light and sound travel at different speeds. Light is a whole lot faster than sound. So when you can, you can actually, we can already travel faster than sound. That's called the sound barrier and... Chuck Yeager was the first human to break the sound barrier, as far as I'm aware. And that's how you get sonic booms. You ever heard of a sonic boom before? Yes. So it means you're traveling faster than the sound you're creating can travel. So you're outrunning your own sound. It's kind of nuts. Light does that too, lightning specifically. So when you see lightning, you'll see it before you hear the sound. And the further away it is, the further ahead of the sound the light can get the more time it takes to travel to you. So the further away it is, the bigger the distance between the light and the sound. So if you can count higher every time, that means it's traveling away from you. It has to travel farther to get to you. Hmm. So that is very, very true. Some people say that a second equals a mile. It's not actually accurate, but you don't need to, to, to have it translate into something else. As long as you count to four one time and you count to five the next time, it's traveling away from you.
1: Interesting. He then uh, says goodnight to his kids, and he goes into Dana's room, the eldest daughter, and, you know, tells her, get off the phone, Dana. Goodnight,
0: Dana. Closes the door, stands there a little bit, opens back up again, get off the phone, Dana.
1: (laughs) Again, very real. (laughs) Very, uh that is exactly what you expect from a teenage girl. Yeah. And a father that loves his daughter and doesn't Mm -hmm. get mad about stupid things like that. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much he's uh, convinced Robbie it's not scary. Robbie and Carol well, Ann
0: Well, a really really loud thunder happens and lightning like practically at the same time and they're like ah! And so they both of them show up in their bedroom, yeah.
1: And so they have the TV on. And again, we see the the national anthem and it goes to snow. And Carol Ann wakes up and goes and stands in front of the TV and a great gust of wind goes past her, and there's a, like, hole in the wall above the above the bed. And then the ki- the parents wake up, because it's, like, almost like an earthquake. Yeah,
0: a whole earthquake happens. It shakes everything. Things start falling down. Caroline's just sitting kind of calmly in front of the TV.
1: And then she turns and she says her famous line, They're, They're
0: here. here.
1: They're here.
0: Now, this was dubbed in post. You can tell, and it's really, really frustrating because it's such a great shot. It's such a great line, but it's 80 yard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What she says and her mouth movements do not match up. People assume she's saying they're all here or something like that. Like they couldn't get her to say the actual words on cue or something weird, but it bothers me every single time.
1: I've never noticed. Yeah. Um, I think I've shared this story before, but I'm going to share it now again little kids doing creepy shit right there was just a huge earthquake and then turning and saying they're here is very creepy and it's very similar to the huge earthquake we had in what
0: 93 92 93 94 something like that the northridge earthquake
1: yes before it hit it's a famous story with my family i uh-huh. walked out into the hallway which was which was weird for me cuz I was a very scared little girl of the dark. Uh-huh. I, I was terrified of going out into the dark by myself. But I go out there into the hallway and I say, "Hello?" "Hello?" And my parents came out and they were like, "Kelsey?" And I'm like, "Don't you hear it?" And then the earthquake happened. <laughs> like it's fucking creepy. If I were my parents, I would be freaked the fuck out yeah, by my own daughter. Uh-huh. I don't remember like why I did that or anything but fucking weird. So the the earthquake doesn't seem to have hit anyone else around them.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. The next
1: day and the father is on the phone talking to all these people. He's like, "What is happening? How could it have passed over everyone except for our house? Things are in shambles. Things have fallen off of the off of the walls." Yeah. But it doesn't seem to have hit anybody else. And the kids are all at the breakfast table and the mom is trying to, you know, handle her three kids while he's getting ready for work. And imagine a time when you could have three children... A home. On one
0: income. All on one income. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, his job, we find out, is he's, he's a real estate good. agent. And he sold practically every home in the valley. Half of them. Yeah, and because uh, he works for the company that that owns the Cuesta Verde Estates. And they never they say
1: what they're called. It's
0: okay. <laughs>
1: the mother is trying to talk to Carol Ann and being like, what did you mean when you said they're here? And, like. Caroline's kind of not interested in this conversation. She's more interested in what her brother and sister are doing. And they are, you know, teasing each other and, you know, very much back and forth like a like kids would. And then at one point, after the mom asks her, What did you mean? And she goes, The TV people. And Robbie says, She's stoned. <laughs> and the older sister goes, Oh, yeah, what do you know about it? And she goes, and he goes, more than you do. Ask Dad. And I've never understood what that is supposed to mean. Do they know their parents smoke weed? What is this conversation? I think they probably
0: heard their parents say somebody is stoned when they're <laughs> acting weird or whatever.
1: Um. But while they're teasing each other, Robbie's glass Shatters. breaks, and yep. mm-hmm. his hand. And of course, the older sister thinks he did it on purpose. And he's just like, I was just holding it. Yeah. And then they look at their silverware and their silverware is all bent. Yeah. So obviously something strange is happening in this home. So the the kids are going off to school, which I don't understand why Carol Ann isn't going. We find out later that she is in a nursery school.
0: Yeah, but they don't have the same days necessarily.
1: And then we have another strange scene which, again, I'm like, why is this in the movie? Uh, the eldest daughter is leaving for school. And they've got all these guys there building the pool in the backyard. And they are hitting on the eldest daughter. Now, that's not the weird part. She flips them off, and it's great. The mother sees all of this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the mother doesn't get mad. She's, she, she's like, proud of her daughter for flipping them off. And yeah, she just mm-hmm. laughs it off. And I'm like...
0: Yeah, well, if okay. my
1: mother had seen that happen to me, those dudes would be fired.
0: Yeah, it's also 1982. <laughs> Just many years before you were even born, <laughs> and it's 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 a lot of hey, this is this is the way the world is, and people weren't thinking, uh, well, at least not your average person wasn't thinking about hey, I can change the world. You know, it's it was. Ah, these are construction guys. They're going to behave this way. The The concept of the construction guy whistling at the hot girl walking by or whatever. She's like was 16. Very much ingrained in our mind. And we learn later that maybe the mother doesn't have the best conception of what's appropriate for a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> but we will get there.
1: Okay. So then the mother is frustrated because she keeps telling her kids to tuck in their chairs. And the chairs keep not being tucked in. And then it happens when only Carol Ann is left and she's like, Did you do that? She's like, No. She looks again and they're now in like a pyramid. And she's like, the TV people. And Carol Carol Ann nods.
0: Goes, "Uh uh-huh.
1: And the mother says, Can you see them? And she goes, "Uh uh-uh. Can you? And the mom goes, "Uh -uh." (gasps) uh-uh. TV people. Uh Uh-huh see them uh uh-uh.
0: do you uh-uh.
1: like this is exciting but also scary but right now the mother doesn't think there's anything to be afraid of
0: a little hint we did pause and rewind so I could show Kelsey this uh, you can see when the mom goes to uh, the, the cupboard like under the sink or, or thereabouts to um to put something away and then she gets back up and turns around and all the chairs are stacked you can see people in the reflection of a waffle iron like coming in and out of the scene cuz they're they're doing this practically so when the camera turns everyone's taking the chairs away and they put the sculpture in its place and they have to get out of the scene before it pans back and you can actually see somebody moving when that happens
1: so then the father gets home and the mother shows him look what happens if you sit in this particular place you will be pushed across the floor to this other end of the floor. Yeah. And the fa- and she's excited. The father is a lot more worried, a lot more concerned.
0: I mean mainly because they d- he has no way to explain it and he had and and also that means he has no solution.
1: Right. And you know, they didn't tell the eldest daughter and they didn't tell Robbie because Robbie would be afraid and the eldest daughter would tell everyone that yeah, about it. Uh-huh. So they've kept it a secret, but they decide to go and ask the neighbors if they've had any disturbances. And this is one of the few times in the movie that like really upsets me every time.
0: Really. It is
1: a really bad cut.
0: Oh. It's because it's it's mid sentence while they're talking. Okay, so. They're talking and kind of arguing about what to do about this, and it cuts in the middle of their conversation, and then it cuts back to them in the middle of a conversation uh, when they're at the front door of the neighbor's house. So, apparently, this may be apocryphal, I do not know, but apparently, in the original scene, there's a line about how much Pizza Hut sucks. They ended up editing it out. Because Pizza Hut was going to take offense to it.
1: Well, because earlier, Carol Ann complained that mom hadn't made any dinner. And she goes, we'll get Pizza Hut.
0: Uh huh. And then so, yeah, there's, there's complaints about Pizza Hut. And so they edit it out. And that, that results in this jump cut that is supposed to, in turn, communicate their excitement. The fact that they're probably talking over each other a lot. And that's also communicated through the juxtaposition of the two scenes that talk over each other so it's weird but number one there is an explanation for it and number two it does still communicate something so it
1: has always bothered yeah, me I can and understand. like that. i said this is one of my favorite horror movies so like these little things it's just like come on if you just had if you had just fixed that it would have it would have done so much more for it because every time I grit my teeth when it happens. <laughs> I don't know why. It just, I guess it's because I think this movie is so close to being perfect that it's like something like that. Yeah. They should have fixed. But so they go to the neighbor's house and they're asking them if they've had any disturbances and they say no. Um, and it's a pointless scene. And there's this weird little thing they have about like mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Why are the mosquitoes all over these people's houses but not over there? They're just
0: outside. They wouldn't normally be outside at this hour. I guess. With the mosquitoes out. And so they're, like, slapping each of their faces and stuff like that while they're talking. And they can't stop laughing and looking silly. And in front of the neighbor who's like, what the fuck are you guys on right now? And then it cuts back to them inside. And she's, like, rubbing ointment on his mosquito bites and stuff. So... I love I love the mosquito bit and then I wrote in parentheses here, get it
1: <laughs> uh, So again the kids are going to sleep and again, Robbie is scared. There's another storm happening and the tree seems to be really going back and forth this time. Yeah. And then, in the middle of this storm, the tree breaks through the glass and grabs Robbie out of his bed. Yeah. And is taking him out and is going to swallow him into the tree. Yeah. It is scary. It's terrifying. So, of course, the parents run out after him to get him out. Yeah. And the sister runs out because she doesn't know what the hell's going on. But Carol Ann is left alone in the bedroom. And while all this craziness is happening...
0: Around Robbie.
1: Around Robbie... Inside Carol Ann and Robbie's room, everything is being sucked into the closet. Yeah. And I've always loved this. I think it is so cool. So whenever they show the snow, everyone has seen snow at some point on their TV screen. We all know it does not flash as brightly as it does in the film. Yeah. We all know that. Uh, They are obviously using a...
0: Strobe of some sort. Strobe
1: light. And I'm fine with that. I think it adds so much to the haunting imagery of this movie. Yeah. Uh, And so there's this great flashing light coming out of her closet and everything is being sucked in. And Carol Ann is left by herself. And so she tries to hold on to her little um, wicker um, headboard. Headboard. But, of course, she gets sucked in, and do you want to tell the famous story about her being afraid of that?
0: Yeah, so Carol Ann was apparently, like, one of the most amiable child actors that they could have possibly worked with. She was totally down for everything, and she didn't really complain.
1: And let's also say Spielberg is famous for, for getting being
0: really good with kids. Excellent yeah. <laughs>
1: performances out of children.
0: Yes, um, and he's really great with kids, and so the two of them work together really well. He's a very empathetic director. That's oh Jesus, we're already spilling the 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 conversation about Spielberg and Toby Hooper. We'll talk about the relationship. We're going to use both of them interchangeably. But Spielberg is responsible in this story for what happens. So he was very famous for uh, working well with these kids and then being empathetic towards his actors. And there's a scene later when Joe Beth Williams is in the pool, the incomplete pool and it's full of muddy water. And she was uncomfortable because there was electrical equipment everywhere. (laughs) There's a, there's a in the shot. I mean, not, not let alone what the camera crew needed and all of that stuff. And so he got in the pool with her, For the shots and was like, here, now if something happens, we both die. (laughs) (laughs) And that made her feel a lot better. And there's another story about the pool we'll get to later. Yeah. But in this one, this was the one shot that Heather O'Rourke hated and she was legitimately terrified of doing and so there are a lot of shots that you see where okay that's obviously a double they're trying to hide her face or that's a doll and they're trying to to make it look real because they tried to shoot around her terror and when she did that one scene and hated it Spielberg said okay that's it that's the only one we're going to do and they just didn't film that shot again with her in it.
1: So you got to really appreciate the ones where it's actually her. Yeah, she is legitimately terrified. Yes, she looks terrified. I don't know how they did it. Was it with wires?
0: I assume so, yeah.
1: They actually have her up floating in air, and it looks like she's being sucked into the closet. I imagine that as a child that would terrify me Uh as well. So... (laughs) Meanwhile, everyone is still outside because Robbie is being sucked into the tree. Now, this ends up being just a distraction, but at the same time, they were perfectly fine with they. When I say they, I mean the spirits within. Yeah,
0: the Yeah, uh-huh. with taking Robbie.
1: Yes, which is why I said earlier that they're built. This it's built on a um barrel ground because it's a lot easier to understand what's happening if you know that. Yeah. So there are spirits in this home, and so. They are distracting the rest of the family with Robbie's plight, but they were perfectly fine with killing Robbie. Yeah. He uh-huh. was almost sucked into a tree. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the father is well, able to save him.
0: And it almost appears like the tree lets go once the closet has Carol Ann.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, and they
0: fall to the ground In ouch. <laughs>
1: he still has to get him out of it, though. Yeah. They save Robbie, and everything is great, and then they look at um, the sister, who is totally stupid, but I mean, she's a 16-year-old girl, and she's just like, they're like, where's Carol Ann? And she's like-
0: I left her in the bedroom.
1: I left her upstairs! (laughs) Thanks, oldest daughter. You really come in handy tonight. You just stood there watching us save the son, and you let the daughter be alone. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So they go upstairs and they're looking for her and they go into the closet, but because everything is in the closet and they assume she must have been in there. Yeah,
0: they have, they're have. they they're worried that she might have been crushed to death or something. So they, they pull everything out and they see a child-sized uh, lump with a sheet over it. And they're at first a little relieved that she's at least there, but they're worried about her and they tear the sheet off. And it's, it's not her. It's the clown. Yeah. And they're a little bit relieved at that, too, because the thing looked dead
1: <laughs> underneath
0: that sheet. Uh, but now where the fuck is Carol Ann?
1: So they're running all around the house. And it's really great. Like, the shots are just so good. Robbie is sitting there. His, his mom tells him, you know, just sit here, right? And for some reason, the TV's on and the snow is on. And Robbie is sitting there and he starts to hear Carol Ann. And he's like, where are you? Huh? Huh? <laughs> and then he realizes she's in the TV. He
0: really starts freaking out. The
1: look on his face uh-huh. is so good. Like I said, Spielberg just, he has an, a touch with children. He knows how to get what he wants out of them. looks petrified and then he starts screaming for his mother and she comes up and she's like what 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 and she hears Carol Ann and it's like oh leave, okay honey where are you and then she realizes that she's in the tv too mm-hmm. and it is heartbreaking yeah she does such an excellent job what do we know her from what else beth is- williams yes what else is she in apart from the sequel which is god awful it really is Except for the bad guy, the sequel is
0: terrible. I mean, you know her from The Big Chill.
1: The Big Chill, yes. Mm -hmm. And she just looks just broken inside. Because it's like, oh my god, why is my daughter in the TV? So then the next cut is when the father, who now looks just like he's dying. Like pale and sickly and smoking a cigarette. um, Is talking to these three paranormal investigators at a school. Yeah. He's telling them, you know, I don't care about anything. I don't don't care about you studying any of this shit. I just want my daughter back. Yeah. Something is happening that I cannot explain and I need you to get in there and I need you to find my daughter.
0: So, famously, he describes his family, the makeup of his family, and he describes that Diane is 32 and he mentions that Dana is 16. Uh, There's Diane, my wife. She's uh, 31. 32. Sorry, and uh, oldest daughter Dana, she's sixteen. My son Robert, eight. Hmm. Caroline. Caroline. Five. I don't know if they just didn't bother to do the math or whatever, but that (laughs) that shows that Diane had Dana when she was sixteen, and they just gloss over that fact. They don't mention it either. It's supposed to be normal at this time, or what? In real life, Dominique Dunn was not that much younger than Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams. Uh, 15 and 11 years, respectively. But in the, in the storyline, the implication is that Diane was 16 when she had Dana. But in the novelization, they explain, and if you ask me, this sounds like a retcon. <laughs> they explain that Dana is not actually Diane's daughter. It's Craig T. Nelson's daughter from a previous relationship.
1: I've always wondered about that.
0: But then it seems odd that their names would be so similar. Because, I mean, when you have a wife named Diane and a daughter named Dana, like, you would think that that would be related. But it's just coincidence. And they don't bother explaining it in the movie. It just, it feels like a retcon to me.
1: Well, okay, so think about it. What year did this come out? 82. 82. Subtract 16 years from 82.
0: 66.
1: It was the time of free love, man.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's just, this is 82 and they don't address it, which seemed a little weird. Like, why even bring that up?
1: I agree. That has always been questionable to me as well. (laughs) So they get these three people. It's a lady and it's two guys. Dr. Lesh, Marty, and Ryan. So they are all coming to investigate the house. And these people know a lot about paranormal activity, but they, as far as they've personally witnessed, the most exciting thing they've ever seen is like a toy car taking several hours to move a few inches across a room. Yeah.
0: And they're like all, oh. Oh. It was incredible to watch because the naked eye couldn't see it. We filmed it on these slow motion cameras that were able to catch it. It was incredible. And the whole time, Steve, Craig T. Nelson is just like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, special. Well, here's where everything's localized. And they open the door. (laughs) And everything's going fucking nuts in this bedroom. (laughs) Things are flying around. This is a little silly, to be fair. Uh, like a lamp in pieces, puts back together, and then the light turns on. And there's a A record record player. player Yeah, plays uh a record. And then there's like giggling and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's one of the Star Wars characters is riding a horse instead of a tauntaun (laughs) or something. Yeah, uh
1: that's when the three people are like. Oh, and so they sit down to tea and Dr. Lush's hands are like all trembling. Yeah. <laughs> and like things keep moving across the table, and they're like, oh my God, there's electricity in the air, and they try to take pictures, but they're not fast enough. And uh-huh. so they're they're out of their depth. Yes. Basically.
0: And they're the professionals.
1: Yes. And so they're like, you know, is this a haunting? Like, what do we do?
0: Okay, so they explain the difference between a haunting and a poltergeist. And ironically, what's Neither happening- Neither are correct. No, no, no. What's happening in this movie is a haunting.
1: No. Oh, huh? It's not
0: a poltergeist. Poltergeist are usually associated with an individual. Hauntings seem to be connected with an area. So they say in the movie <laughs> that this is a haunting and not a poltergeist. But they still call the movie poltergeist because there's kind of an undercurrent- unexplained thing that it's it's heather o'rourke it's carol ann that they're connected to and not necessarily the house because it starts with the location and then it ends with carol ann oh Uh, i should probably say that poltergeist is german for noisy ghost
1: (laughs) so they ask talk to carol ann we want to see what we're dealing with here yeah and this is such it's such a good shot. Um, oh,
0: God, yes. The
1: mother calls out to the daughter.
0: To say, to say hi to daddy. Mommy and daddy here, say hi to daddy. And you hear her. And she says, hi, daddy. And then there's this shot of a lamp uh, on a table. And Craig T. Nelson kind of bends into the shot and turns off the lamp as he's looking up. It says hi, boys, hi, sweet hi, sweetheart. Yeah, sweet pea. And he turn, It's just, it's a great interaction. It's a great shot. It just feels so heartwarming.
1: And then he goes down, and then Marty stands up, like, "Oh my god!" Oh, yeah. You know, uh-huh. like everybody else is. But this is
0: normal for the family. Exactly. Now it's their new normal.
1: And the sister, it, the elder sister, is.
0: Crying. Crying,
1: but, like, also, like, very hopeful. Yeah. Um. And Robbie is kind of scared, but also hopeful. It's very, very good. But then there's some creepiness. Is that you, Mommy? No, that's not me. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Leave my baby alone. And so then... She comes running, and you're supposed to assume that she's running down the stairs, and she runs through the mother. Yeah. And the mother is, like, really touched, and, like, she went through my soul. And it's super emotional and super real. But at the same time, you can hear the, don't, don't, don't. Like, you can hear that something is coming after the daughter. Yeah. And the eldest daughter can't handle it and starts, like, screaming and, like, needs to leave the house because she just can't handle it. And it's so good. Yeah. This movie is excellent. So then- This is around
0: the time we should probably say that Dominique Dunn leaves for almost the rest of the movie. She goes and she stays at a friend's. Yes. And they send Robbie away. Later. Later.
1: He stays for a little bit longer. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so the lady, uh, Dr. Lesh, is like, where was she playing? We're going to go get her. And they're like, they won't let you. And she says, we'll just see about that. But at the same time, the other dude with the big glasses tried to get in and couldn't. And he's like, something took a bite out of me. And he's got like teeth marks uh on his stomach. (laughs) And when he shows it, Robbie goes, wow. (laughs) (laughs) She's always made me laugh.
0: Something took a bite out of me.
1: You got that?
0: Yeah, that are the worst muscle spasm in the world. Lift up your shit. Let's
1: have a look. Wow. The other guy is really intrigued, and he's like, is this from outer space or is this mm-hmm. inner space, you know? Yeah. And but basically,
0: what the conclusion is that they come to is that they're su- these spirits are supposed to go into the light, but instead, Carol Anne is so bright herself that they're attracted to her, and that's what she's running from. In whatever area they're in.
1: Yes, she is a distraction, as they put it. Yeah,
0: uh-huh.
1: Um, And then, like, a bunch of things fall from the ceiling, and the father is so fed up. What the hell is this? Meanwhile, the doctors are super intrigued. Uh-huh. They, they want to know, like, what's happening here. Everybody goes to sleep, and this is the one scene in the film that I remember terrifying me as a child, and yet now I'm like, oh, it looks kind of silly. <laughs> uh, so the dude with the glasses is like, I'm really oh, hungry, yeah, uh-huh. so he goes to get food in the middle of the night,
0: and he just pulls out <laughs> just like a bloody steak, just slaps it on the countertop that was just
1: sitting in the in the fridge, uncovered. Like
0: yeah, uh, and he just slaps it on the on the tile countertop, and when he's going to get something else, it like. Worm crawls across the countertop and then it bursts, full of maggots and stuff like that. Uh, and he no, realizes the chicken and
1: stuff is coming out, and so the chicken is he's filled with maggots. And he
0: drops that, and that's all filled with maggots. And he so he runs into this closet with a sink.
1: I think it's like their laundry room.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. and he's like wiping his face off, and then he like he sees and feels something on his face, and he, and he starts to like peel his skin off, and then all of his skin comes off, and it reveals his skull, and he screams, and then he's just okay again.
1: I think this really scared me because the sink that they have is when like it this drops big- drops the
0: gunk in it. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's this
1: big bucket sink that has a really thin trail of water that doesn't quite hit where the circle is. Yeah. I swear to God, our laundry room when uh-huh. I was a kid had the exact same- Sink. Yeah, and so that always scared me. I think that's. I think that plus him tearing his face off really scared the crap out of me. Right, but the fake
0: face does not look like him at all. It doesn't hold up. Obvious. Yeah, I do like the peeling skin effect, but the face they start with just doesn't look like him. And notoriously, those hands are Steven Spielberg's hands.
1: (laughs) The next day, they're gonna leave one of them there. The black guy, he's gonna stay. Doctor Lesh is gonna leave to go find someone else to come in and help because they know they're out of their depth at this yeah, point
0: point. Uh-huh.
1: and the other guy whose face came off he won't be coming back
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> while this is happening remember the father hasn't been showing up to work this whole time yeah and so his boss shows up and his boss is like you look like hell you know like
0: yeah and and really what What ultimately is dominating the boss's understanding right now is that he's worried he's going to lose his best seller, that Steven doesn't feel properly fulfilled or that he's getting enough compensated. Yeah. And so they're going to reward him with a new house.
1: And uh, a partnership. but. Yes, the yeah. new house thing is far more important.
0: Yes, so they're they're climbing up this hill in the middle of the day, looking out over the valley and all these homes and like beautiful view, isn't it? Yeah, and he's like, this could be your kitchen, you know, dining room and looking out over this view. And Stephen says, well, yeah, but there's not a lot of real estate here, right? Because as the camera turns, you can see that there is a cemetery there. Effectively, the boss is like, don't worry, we can move the cemetery. And Stephen's like, isn't that kind of like, Sacrilegious. Sacrilegious. He's like, no, it's fine. We get everyone's permission. We move it, and you know what? It, it it ends up being in a better location for them. They can visit their families there anyway. One little visual cue as to what's going on is that the tree in the middle of this cemetery is the same type of tree in their backyard. They don't call that out, but it is just there in the movie okay how do you do this and the the dude's like well we've done it before actually we just move the bodies and and we build on top of it your area the first development we did the same thing it's like oh that's weird and creepy but he thinks that might have something to do with it
1: yeah he's like oh god you know uh but there's some funny lines he's like i noticed all of the uh the cameras in there or whatever and he's like I read Popular Mechanics. I got hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) I've been told that your daughter hasn't been showing up to nursery school. She's around. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just good, good lines there. This is when we meet.
0: Tangina. Yes. Tangina, who's played by Zelda Rubenstein.
1: She's the famous little person from both this movie and Teen Witch, and I'm sure she's in something else. Yeah,
0: she's in 16 Candles. She plays the organ in 16 Candles. She's the organist. Little Witches, Wishcraft. So she's in a lot of these sort of like, we need a strange person in it kind of shows. She died uh, in 2010 at uh, 76.
1: But the father does not believe in it, which I, I've i never really understood why he doesn't believe in her, considering what he has seen in his house.
0: Well, he doesn't think that anybody can actually be a professional at this and knows what they're talking about. He thinks she's a sham. He doesn't think that the stuff going on is fake. He thinks... She is just taking advantage of them. And he's determined not to be taken advantage of.
1: He calls her a Knott's Berry Farm solution. Yeah. (laughs) Which I've always thought was a strange thing. Like putting on
0: a, a show, like a performance.
1: She is upstairs and she asks a question. And the father does not respond. And the mother is like, Stephen, like, she's talking to you. And he goes, I am answering her. And she comes out and she goes, I am addressing the living, am I not? And then he tells her the answer and she walks away and he tells his wife, I tried to tell her telepathically, but guess what? She couldn't, she couldn't hear me. And then she walks out and she says, I could, I just don't like trick answers. Yeah. uh Why
0: is this door locked, Mr.
1: Freeling? Answer her, Stephen. I am. I am addressing the living. I'm sorry. Sorry. That's the room my son and daughter used to occupy.
0: What's the matter? <laughs> I was trying to answer her with my mind and she couldn't hear me. No, I thought you said this. Then Gina Behrens was an extraordinary careful. I am. I just don't like trick answers.
1: You don't want to be taken advantage of? I don't want to be taken advantage uh-huh. of. So then she explains to them, look, there are a lot of spirits here. And they're stuck here for whatever reason. And they go into all the different reasons why people get stuck on Earth. And she's like, but finally, someone has come for them. But they are distracted by the life force of your daughter. Yeah. And so they are not going towards that light. And at the same time, the beast, which I guess is supposed to be the devil.
0: No, it's just a, it's just a beast.
1: Uh, he loves to keep these people in limbo. Yeah and so he is using Carol Ann as a as a means to distract them. Yeah. He what is his motivation? I guess just torture? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of people's souls. And she explains, you know, he talks to your daughter in thing, in ways that only children can understand. He to to her he simply is another child.
0: Yeah. But we see him later, he is no child.
1: <laughs> and she goes, you know, You got to hold on to yourselves. It knows what scares you. It has from the beginning. You've told it too much already. Yeah. And so she's like, we need to get her out of it. I think we also skipped the scene where they actually see a bunch of ghosts following
0: an angel Uh
1: into the light. Yeah. But that's not all of them because this was an entire cemetery, so. Yeah, yeah. And they discover, you know, when all the stuff falls from the ceiling, they're like, all right, if that's a way out, there must be a way in.
0: And so they figure out that it's the closet. It's
1: the closet. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting, and we also skipped this, earlier when they were all going to sleep the same night when the guy's face came off, uh, they're sitting there and Robbie is awake and he explains how he would get Carol Ann out. Mm-hmm. He says, you could tie a rope around me, and I could go in there, and I could bring Carol Ann out, mm-hmm. which is exactly what they end up doing.
0: Effectively, yeah.
1: Uh, but at that point, yeah, they had sent Robbie and E-Buzz up to his grandparents' house. Yeah. Yes, they, they have this whole plan, and they they test it out first with tennis balls. They mark them up, and they throw them into the closet, and they come out the same place where all the stuff popped out earlier. And so they know that it works. At first, it's going to be the little witch lady she's going to go in. And the mother says, she won't come to you. She doesn't know you. And the little lady says,
0: you've never done this before. <laughs> And so the mom's like, neither have you. <laughs> she says, good point. You go. What do you think you're doing? I'm going in after her. Welcome to you. Let me go. You've never done this before. Neither have you. You're right. You go.
1: <laughs> the a great line. The father originally wanted to go in, but they needed him to hold on to the rope, which yeah, ends the, up being for naught. He's the
0: anchor. Well... <laughs> I don't necessarily blame him, but...
1: But before she goes in, she says, don't let go. Never. Yes, yeah. you do. <laughs>
0: so they, they, they throw the rope through. It comes out the other end. They tie the rope around uh, Diane and... It's
1: got to be the longest rope ever. Right,
0: yeah. <laughs> and and Steve and Ryan, they have, they have the other end of the rope.
1: And they make the excellent decision to not show us what happens here, which... They choose
0: oh, in the to remake. Show, they show in the Listen, remake. if you're curious about what happens in this portal, watch the remake. It shows you everything. <laughs> More than you could ever possibly desire. <laughs> anyway, so she goes in. As they're holding the line, everyone's running and they're doing their jobs. They're getting to the other side of the rope and all that stuff. And then as as they're pulled closer and closer to the door, the beast, his face comes out of the portal (laughs) and just terrifies Steven. And he drops the rope. Mm -hmm. And it gets sucked in. But then Carol Ann and Diane fall through the portal into... The living room.
1: Now, say what you want about 80s special effects. I think this is fantastic.
0: Oh, it's incredible, yeah. If I uh-huh. were to
1: see this in a haunted house, I would I would, I would probably pee my pants.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they had already filled the bath earlier, and they take both Diane and Carol Ann up to the bath, and they put them in the water.
1: And this it's- is bad because Steven is, like, wiping their faces, and uh-huh. neither of them, neither the mother nor the daughter, Can keep their faces straight. They keep twitching uh, and flinching when he does it.
0: (laughs) But Diane wakes up first, and then so does Carol Ann. And it's really sweet, and everyone's happy, and they're hugging each other. And then the three of them, Ryan, Dr. Lesh, and Tangina, they end up closing the bathroom door to let them have their own little moment. And then Ryan videotapes Tangina. She's, like, fixing her hair. And she says... This house
1: is clean. But it's Famous not. Line,
0: it's really not.
1: It's really not. So she did help a lot of the ghosts go to the light. We
0: yeah, well, we didn't talk about what, what ended up happening because it's really, really confusing.
1: It's very confusing. It goes
0: back and forth as to whether or not she should be going to the light. At first, it's don't send her to the light because we know the light is where you pass over into the next world. So they say don't do it, even though the mom is like go to the light, and then there's a fight there, and then later on they tell her Carolyn, head towards the light because and then he, she wants she wants her to, lead to lead the lead rest of them. Yes, exactly. But then they have to tell her before she goes in not to go in, <laughs> don't go in the light, and it's like she Ann must be super confused because <laughs> it's like back and forth, back and forth. But they manage to get most of these spirits over into the next world, but the beast is still there. They haven't done anything about the beast, and. He's very angry.
1: Yeah, so they are trying to leave immediately. They're packing up all their shit.
0: And they're leaving that same day, but Steven has to go into work and quit.
1: Yeah. Uh, So he's going to go and quit, and he is just putting everything into the moving van. We need to get the fuck out of here. The eldest daughter is going to go see friends, put the kids to bed for a little bit. We'll get them up when we leave. Yeah. I'll be back soon, and we'll go. But it doesn't really... Plan out that way, right? The mother goes to take a bath, and, and the two and kids, dye her hair because <laughs> she got a streak. Yeah, so there's a, silver <laughs> a gray streak. In her streak head. Yeah, and the kids are just supposed to, you know, take a, a nap. And what do they do? They distract her again with their son.
0: Well, a few things happen. So first, she's taking a bath, and Robbie is nervous about the the clown again. And then next time he looks, the clown is gone. And so they do this very good shot of him leaning over the edge of his bed, carefully lifting You're
1: expecting up it to the be comforter. There.
0: It's a great misdirect. He pulls it up and nothing's there, but it's not like a fake jump scare at that point. It's just like there's nothing there and then the camera follows him as he sits back up and when he stands back up and we can see the clown is right behind him it wraps its arm around his head and his and his mouth and starts like grabbing him and struggling with him and like trying to choke him out effectively mm-hmm. and so he's fighting with this uh with this clown meanwhile Diane in her room uh, tries
1: to leave to go and save her kids uh-huh
0: but she gets, gets yanked around back the room back yeah
1: and then gets uh taken into a room just like in Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: Yeah, we've talked several times before about the houses or the sets that are built to rotate and the camera rotates with it so it looks like people are being dragged around. It's the same room setup that they use for Lionel Richie and Dancing on the Ceiling. Like, it's very famous. You've all seen it. It's used in uh, the hallway scene in Inception. Like, yeah, you know it. And she gets dragged around and she can't fight back and... Carol Ann is gonna get sucked back into this portal
1: and in she the says, closet. No, no more. No more. No more. Oh
0: my god, this is heartbreaking. Carol Ann is perfect in this movie. Mm-hmm. Love her. Mm-hmm. Uh Diane ends up getting free and trying to get in the room, and that's when she's attacked by the beast. And yes. she is terrified. And we see the beast in its full form. And it does the MGM lion roar as part of its gigantic roar that you end up hearing. Uh, She gets knocked around the house and down the stairs and she tries to find another way uh, into the house. She tries to get help from the neighbors and she ends up falling into the pool. And it's raining and the pool is filling up with muddy water. And then up from the ground of the the pool. Remember, this is an incomplete pool. There's no tile. There's no lining. There's no nothing. It's just mud. Uh, Out of the ground come caskets and dead bodies. Skeletons and stuff like this. And yes, famously, these skeletons were real.
1: I would sue the shit out of (laughs) Stephen. I don't know why she didn't.
0: I know we talk about him being an empathetic director, but... Again, he was in there, too. He did it with her. so She didn't
1: know, though. She
0: didn't know. That's right. She had no idea.
1: Super fucked up. But
0: it was cheaper than manufacturing How is it realistic cheaper? Looking
1: How is it cheaper to get real bodies?
0: Cadavers.
1: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> anyway- she ends up being able to get out And the neighbors come by And they and, basically abandon her Right, she's like, you need to help me, you need to help me And he he's gonna go help her, and the wife is like You do not go in there. (laughs) You do not, because everything's going nuts. And it's very obvious. And neighbors are starting to notice. And more caskets are coming up out of the ground.
1: And then they do the the long hallway thing. I've always loved that.
0: Oh, yeah, where the hallway stretches out. And she's just running
1: and running and Uh running. And then she finally closes the distance.
0: Yeah, she, she opens the door and she sees what's going on. And Robbie gets free. And he can grab his his mom, and then he's supposed to grab Carol Ann, and they have like this human chain, effectively. Mm-hmm. And they manage to save Carol Ann and get running out of the house. And they're trying to make their way out, but this the house is like falling apart. And again, more caskets are coming up out of the ground and blocking their way. And this is when Steven comes home. And Dana practically at the same time, and and she, his
1: boss, yeah, because
0: he's with his boss. His boss is trying to get him to stay,
1: and she's trying to get through the door she, uh, before it slams. She says, Stephen help, us. <laughs> <laughs> "Stephen, help
0: us!" And so they end up making it around the back, and they 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 go through the back gate, and he grabs them, and they get them all in the car. And meanwhile, Mister Teague, his boss, is just like. What the fuck is happening? And he grabs him, Steven grabs him, and he's like basically, you son of a bitch, you only moved the headstones, you didn't move the bodies. You son of a bitch You, have you have to put only this... moved the headstones
1: I love. Oh this... the clip is
0: going in yeah. I
1: love this fucking line You left the bodies didn't ya You only moved the headstones <laughs> You only moved the headstones Why Why
0: <laughs> The son of a bitch you moved the cemetery But you left the bodies didn't ya You the son of a bitch you left the bodies And you only moved the headstones you only move the headstones! It's so
1: great. I mean, like, it sounds ridiculous, but, like, oh, God, if you yeah. imagine this was really happening, I would probably uh-huh. react the same way.
0: Yeah. And so the
1: boss just looks like, ah!
0: So they had So so they get in the car The and keys The keys They go to, they go to drive Every away Every
1: time we can't find our keys Yeah The
0: whole family gets in uh, Meanwhile and Dana the daughter, and, like, screams Dana,
1: Dana is happening? out there And just screaming What's happening What's happening And the son says Leave her Leave her <laughs> <laughs> What's
0: happening Dana get the car Dana, Drive away uh, but, but Mr. Teague is in shock, and he's just staring at this half, and all the neighbors start coming out, and they're driving away, and we see the house crumple up into nothing. So, how did they do this? They built a model house, and they hooked it up uh, in in key points to wires that would pull on it through a vacuum tube. So they have the wires pulling on specific points and the vacuum sucking up the whole model. And it it they had, like, basically one shot to get this because it was it was all going to get ruined, just this one shot. Steven actually has that model in pieces on top of his piano in his home, Steven Spielberg. Oh, did you notice that one of the characters is named after him? <sighs> uh, <laughs> in, any, in any case, the whole movie ends with them going to a motel. They are all exhausted, and they go into the hotel room. The camera stays outside, and then we see Stephen push the TV out into the the balcony hallway area and leaving it outside and closing the door. And,
1: and then it ends with the la 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 yeah. la 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 la, and it's very much. It always reminds me of Rosemary's Baby of her singing, and it's funny because Rosemary's Baby and. Uh, Poltergeist are two of my favorite horror movies of all time, so I like that little connection there.
0: Yes. People complained a little bit about the music. They thought it was a little too saccharine.
1: But that's kind of a juxtaposition it's kind of the, it, they're going exactly, for. Exactly. It's
0: exactly what they're going for. This is, uh, this is Jerry Goldsmith. He famously did the music for Innerspace and Omen. And, like, a bunch of other things. Interestingly, Steven Spielberg selected him. This is one of the reasons why... Steven Spielberg... Okay, I guess we can we can kind of get into this now. Um, Steven Spielberg produced this movie. <laughs> uh, he was a very, very, very hands-on producer. He was there at the set, like, every single day. This was at the time that he was editing... Uh, ET. They wouldn't because he signed a contract for ET, he couldn't make any other movies while he was working on ET. So, officially he didn't direct and he needed to pick a director and he picked Toby Hooper, who's famous for doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre among other things. And they worked together on it. And if you ask Zelda Rubinstein, she thought that Toby Hooper was fucking incompetent. Steven was doing most of the the legwork, And when people asked Steven Spielberg about this, here's what he said. He said, quote, Toby isn't a take charge sort of guy. If a question was asked and an answer wasn't immediately forthcoming, I'd jump in and say what we could do. Toby would nod in agreement and that became the process of our collaboration. (laughs) And one of the other producers, Frank Marshalls, Frank Marshall said the creative force of the movie was Steven. Toby was the director and was on set every day, but Steven did the design for every storyboard and was only absent for three days during the shoot because he was in Hawaii with George Lucas. Hooper claims to have done half the storyboards himself. And so there's like this conflict between who's responsible for what. It seems like the majority say that, like the effective consensus is that they made this movie together, but this was entirely Steven's baby. Oh, yeah, well. Yes. Considering
1: he's famous for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it doesn't really surprise me that he's not a very hands-on director.
0: <laughs> Kelsey hates that movie. Yeah. Steven felt bad about this. Why? I mean... It's needlessly offensive to this guy that you hired to do, and he did exactly what you wanted him to do, which was be director for a movie that you wish you could have directed so you are a hands-on producer. If anyone is responsible for the way this movie worked and the collaboration and what Toby could and couldn't do, it's Steven Spielberg. So then to be after the fact badmouthing him and giving him a bad reputation, it's really unseemly, and it's kind of fucked up. And so he wrote Hooper after the fact and said, quote, Regrettably, some of the press has misunderstood the rather unique creative relationship you and I shared throughout the making of Poltergeist. I enjoyed your openness in allowing me as a writer and a producer a wide berth for creative involvement, just as I know you were happy with the freedom you had to direct Poltergeist so wonderfully. Through the screenplay, you accepted a vision of this very intense movie from the start, and as the director, you delivered the goods. You performed responsibly and professionally throughout, and I wish you great success on your next project. As sort of like, to bend fences, effectively. But if Spielberg had his druthers, he would have directed this too. He just couldn't legally be allowed to. So instead, he was a writer and producer who was just on set every day giving his feedback and effectively co-directing the film. When the Directors Guild of America, who isn't exactly the most open association in the world, they opened up a investigation and they decided that... Well, because they're very big on making sure people get credit and not giving credit to people who don't deserve credit and all of that, and and they decided effectively that in his that anything Stephen did on the project was his role as writer and producer, and that t- there there's no reason to give co directing credit to him. It also could have something to do with the fact that Stephen didn't want them to give him co directing credit, <laughs> so uh, I, it feels kind of political. That conclusion, but I guess I understand exactly what what the whole point is, is that Toby was brought in to be director. So it's kind of fucked up that they're then trying to take that director credit away from him. Like, if you really wanted to be director, then you just wouldn't have made the movie until you were out of your contract with E.T. Like, really, you should have just done that. And in order to come out looking not like a total dickhead, Spielberg (laughs) has to be giving Toby the credit that he hired him for.
1: hmm
0: So, in any case, but the reason this came up is that Spielberg did a lot of, um, of the decision-making. He decided on, uh, you know, he did half of the storyboards along with Hooper doing the other half, reportedly. Uh, he selected the musician, which is very uncommon. He went with Jerry Goldsmith instead of his classic composer, which we will get to in a little bit. All right, Kelsey, lightning round.
1: I love that they used a clown doll to scare the kids because yeah. at this point, John Wayne Gacy had become famous, right? Uh, he's a serial killer and he he would dress up as a clown, uh, not like to terrify people. At was, children's party, It was an yeah, actual uh, job that he had. So like you could probably attribute a little bit of fear to clowns to that. But honestly, it had not been written yet. Yeah. So this idea of a clown being scary was not a very common thing. It was not something that was in our our culture. Uh, you can really attribute most people's fear of, of clowns to it or to this movie.
0: Yeah. And this movie came uh, and, out before and, it. And culturally, things that happen in real life, like you say, John Wayne Gacy. Uh, and then there's that scene in The Simpsons where... Like I mentioned earlier, can't sleep, clown will eat me, where his bed is like a clown with a giant mouth and he's scared, he's terrified of that as a young kid.
1: Can't sleep, clown will eat me. Can't sleep, clown will eat me. Yeah, but that was in the 90s,
0: right? But I'm saying, like, these sorts of things start piling up over time to become a cultural fear of clowns, and now we have, you know, the clowns that. Stand creepily in the middle of the street holding a balloon just to scare people. Uh <laughs> Happening in pop culture just a few years ago.
1: Yes. Maybe I had already seen this. Maybe I had already seen it. But there's also another famous story of me being at a circus. And a clown singling me out to give me like a book and a balloon or something. Yeah. Like she actually like, you know, was running around and picking kids to give things to. And she picked me. And, like, I was excited to get selected, but my mom says I was really afraid to, like, reach out and take anything yeah, from her, uh-huh. right? Like, clowns are creepy looking. Yeah. I don't know why they're a thing, to be perfectly honest. Um. Also, I've always wondered if there's a lot of ad-libbing going on with Carol Ann. Yeah. So, like, for example... There, In the scene where he is convincing Robbie there's nothing to be afraid of, you can count, blah, 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 and the storm will be passing us. He goes to put the sheet over her, and she goes, it's too hot! And he says, oh, okay. And, and like, in the middle of their conversation, her phone, she's like, she's got a toy phone, and she's like, daddy, it's for you. And he's like, you tell him to take a message, sweetie. He wants to take a message. Like, I wonder if that is ad living cuz it seems so real. She's
0: great. She's perfect in this role. It I seems absolutely very, very love real. her and you're right. I think I think a lot of that has to do with them just fooling around on camera, you mm-hmm. know. Both the score that we talked about earlier by Jerry Goldsmith and the special effects were nominated for Oscars in this year, but unfortunately Steven Spielberg's movie lost in both categories to Steven Spielberg's E.T.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a part where Carol Ann is going to sleep with a doll and the head is off of it. And like, I get it. I had Barbie dolls. It's not very difficult, to, especially back then. I don't know how they're made now. But like, you, you just squeeze the neck and the head pops off. Like, yeah, uh-huh. that's that was a thing. But it's like... Why would you sleep with it like that? Why wouldn't you put the head back inside? You could very easily just pop it back in. Uh
0: huh. But she liked it. And she like, <laughs> lined them up on her pillow just perfectly. And then when she decided she wanted to get more comfortable, she grabbed the body and turned over and just left the head there. <laughs> it's <was> really weird. <laughs> so not moving the bodies and just moving the headstones is a real thing. But from a long, long time ago, back in the 1800s, in Denver, Colorado, of all places, they were going to be building a park, but there was a cemetery that was there at the time. And so they hired a contractor to relocate the, ce- the, the cemetery, and in order to save money, he did exactly that. He didn't dig up any of the bodies, he just moved the headstones to the new location, When one of the employees kind of uh, let slip that this is what happened, uh, they end up arresting the contractor for doing that. But because at this point, they were so close to finishing, they just finished and left everything just like it was. And you can go there right now. It's called Cheeseman Park. And if you go to Denver, Colorado, you can visit this location where there are still people buried under the ground. (laughs) <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah, but I mean if you think about it, it's no different than what they do in actual cem- cemeteries. There's just a park over the top of it instead of headstones.
1: Right. Children not running around playing in yeah. a graveyard.
0: We have a weird revulsion when it comes to dead bodies. It It makes sense to me, but I just do not feel that. Not at all. Burn up my body, bury me in the ground. I don't give a shit. <laughs>
1: But what's always bothered me about that, pools are deeper than six feet. True. That has always bothered me. Yep. It makes no sense. You're right. Another thing that they overlooked, which is a big, big bummer mm-hmm. because this movie is so close to being perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking about the same thing. If the, if the, if the caskets and the bodies come up from the ground, that's probably a good nine feet. Deep at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing they always say is six feet under, right? Yeah. My pool was, like, what, ten feet deep?
0: Right, and I can totally see that that would be a plot device of them digging up a pool, and that's when they find the bodies, but that wouldn't fit so neatly in the storyline, so they just ignore it. It's kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyway.
1: I think, as I've gotten older... I've become far more sensitive to light.
0: Yeah? Does that bother you with the strobing effect?
1: It didn't used to. It never used to bother me, and now I can't look at the screen fully on, full on anymore. Yeah. like I'm like, I'm going to have a fucking seizure.
0: Going to have to put a content warning on this one about flashing lights.
1: Yes. When did that first happen? It was anime, right?
0: It didn't first happen with anime, but it, there's an episode of Pokemon. It's the episode with Porygon. God, it's so – I can't believe I know this. Um, (laughs) But the lights flash with certain colors. It's like red and blue, and it flashes at a certain frequency that kids had – kids that were photosensitive had seizures, and so they could never air it again. And they edited the episode to where they could air it, and you just still never see that episode anymore. So, it happens in real life. So, I want to make sure you guys are... People complained about this, but I don't think anybody reported any seizures or anything like that. For a movie that is so well regarded in horror history and can be so terrifying and has all those dead bodies, notably, people say, there are no deaths in the movie. That's notable. But, there is a body count of one in this movie. Yes. Tweety Bird.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Tweety Bird dies in the movie.
1: I'm sure the fish die, too.
0: Probably. (laughs) They get sucked. That's right. Do they bring the fish out?
1: I don't think so. I don't
0: remember. Oh, man.
1: The fish get sucked into oblivion.
0: (laughs) Body count three. They were going to
1: die anyway. She was overfeeding them. (laughs) All right, Kelsey. Yes.
0: What do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes?
1: Ninety-three.
0: 86. Boo! Smartly filmed, tightly scripted, and most importantly, consistently frightening. Poltergeist is a modern horror classic. It is. Metacritic of 79. Boo. Overrated or underrated?
1: Underrated.
0: What would you give it?
1: Giving it a 99.
0: 99! You know, going into this conversation, I was going to give it an 89. I think it deserves better. I'm going to give it a 93. Oh. I really, really like it. It is it is our highest rated movie of the year so far. We've done 13 movies so far. This would be our 13th movie. We'll do 14 at the end of this one. It's the highest rated of the year so far. It's doing pretty good.
1: I would give it 100. It's just it's got those little things, little things that really, really bother me. And it's because it's so close to being perfect in my eyes. Yeah. But it just it just drives me crazy that they left those
0: little inconsistencies in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. That is the first Poltergeist from 1982. And we have done virtually an entire episode just on this one. Don't worry, folks. The portion about the remake won't last nearly as long. (laughs) Before we get there, though, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition.
1: Okay, another super easy question. Again, Uh I can't help what movies we've seen that are on these cards. Yes. What is the relationship between Amelia and Samuel in 2014's The Babadook?
0: The mother-son. (laughs) Yeah. That is really easy. Yeah. Okay, now Kelsey, I specifically tiptoed around this one in this episode. Okay. Who composed the famous theme for Jaws 1975? This is way easier than you think it is. Okay, first of all, who made Jaws?
1: Steven Spielberg.
0: Yes. So second question becomes, who does Steven Spielberg use in every one of his movies? Why it's such a big deal that he chose Jerry Goldsmith to do this movie?
1: The John Williams?
0: It is John Williams, yes, who did E.T., and was doing and that. And
1: every other incredible so score you've yes. ever heard. Yes. And Jurassic
0: Park and Jaws <laughs> and yet all the famous Steven Spielberg movies John Williams scored. <laughs> which is why it was so weird that he that he didn't do this one. Although I think it's becoming less and less as time goes on.
1: Well, John Williams is getting older.
0: He's getting pretty old, but he is still doing movies. He did, he did a lot of Harry Potter. Not all of it, but he did a lot of- I mean, he's- He's famous for doing the theme for he Harry did Potter. Star Wars. Yeah, he did Star. Indiana
1: he did Jones.
0: Superman. Like, yeah. he's the one that does these sweeping orchestral scores. Like any movie score that you can hum as an average person who doesn't know a lot about movie scores, it's probably John Williams.
1: Listeners, challenge right now. Try to hum the difference between Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park
0: and Superman. <laughs> Which one's which? It's like, well, now I think what happens is you end up getting Jurassic Park stuck in your head, which means you can't think of Superman. That's the thing. John Williams is incredible, but you can easily identify his sound. And I think that's. That's for the worse. It even It's gets not like been, he has a unique sound. It's that he has a very particular sound.
1: Try to do the difference between E.T. and Indiana Jones. Like, it just, <laughs> it's, it's difficult. Like, they're all so significant to our cultural zeitgeist. And yet...
0: They're all the same. When you're sitting
1: there trying to think <laughs> yeah. about the differences, it's very difficult.
0: Just off the top of your head.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, Kelsey, moving on to 2015's... Poltergeist, the second half, half, <laughs> of this double feature. The late night double feature, feature show. Directed by Gil Keenan, written by David lindsay Abair, based on the original screenplay by Steven Spielberg, Michael Grace, and Mark Victor, starring Sam Rockwell, Rosemary DeWitt, and Jared Harris. What is the movie about?
1: Pretty much the same thing. Almost
0: literally the same exact thing. I have a list. I was taking notes throughout this movie, and I have a I have a list of all the differences.
1: You wanna go through that first?
0: I mean, no, that that'll that'll be a bulk of our conversation. Well, yeah. So I
1: don't I'm do not see this movie. Do not see this yes, movie. That's my next
0: question. Do you is, recommend people see it? It is
1: a piece of shit, which sucks because Sam Rockwell's in it. And yeah, I, I what
0: love the, Sam Rockwell. I don't know what the
1: fuck he was thinking being in this.
0: So Here's what I wrote about the movie, and I'm going to say it now to discourage you from seeing it, (laughs) as opposed to at the end. I wrote, this is just boring. I see stuff happening, but none of it feels like it has a soul. The original had a soul, a sort of calm confidence, and this has none of that. And in conjunction with that, or maybe as a result of that, it winds up having zero tension." Even though more crazy shit happens, it has zero tension throughout the whole entire thing. I felt nothing, which is saying a lot considering how, in watching the original, just how much we felt in general. Just how emotional it is, how much they get everything right, how much everything feels just so natural and real, and it's all very evocative. This movie just fails on everything. Every account there
1: It is someone who saw the original And thought That looks cool That looks cool And that looks cool And I will splatter that on the screen And I will ignore everything that actually made it a good movie The writing is awful The acting is terrible The direction is bad There is no familial love Fuck The oldest sister is barely in the original film. Yeah. And yet every moment that she is on screen, you feel her anguish, you feel her pain, you feel her love for her family and her terror of what is happening within the home. Yeah. The father looks like he is having a breakdown. The mother looks like she is doing everything she can to hold on to every inch of hope for her daughter. None of that. Is in this movie. And they had no idea that this film is actually about the trauma of a family family, trying to stick together. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: None of that is here. This movie thought what everyone liked about the original was the scary shit. The scary shit intensified everything. And that is it.
0: Right. Right. And- now don't get us wrong this is not going to be just a conversation bagging on everything about this movie and saying it's all terrible there are one or two things that I will be pointing out that are kind of neat beyond that don't see this movie we'll, we'll tell you about it that said you can take our advice or leave it and when we get back we will talk about 2015's Poltergeist there are ghost stories and then there's Poltergeist 30. We just want our daughter back. The door
1: to the world could close at any moment. I gotta go in and get her out.
0: Maddie, help me. Bouldergeist. Rated PG-13. Kelsey, normally I would ask you at this point to get us started. Tell us how the whole thing starts, but I don't think we have to do that with this one. I think really what we should dive right into is how the movie's different, uh, because for the most part, for the major beats, the story is identical. But let's get into the ways that it's different. I have a list here that goes through chronologically throughout the movie, and then you tell me if you can think of any more that can fit in here, okay? And we can feel free to talk about any one of them when we get to them. First of all, the first shot, instead of zooming out from a television at very, very close up, zooms out from an iPad. (laughs) Because it's 2015. Yep. Uh, In this one, Sam Rockwell's character, the father, doesn't actually have anything to do with the development. The whole thing starts off with him being very grumpy because he has no job.
1: I think the idea is that they're moving into a smaller home than they used to have. Yeah. Because he's unemployed. This is, uh, what year did this come out?
0: 2015.
1: So it's a little past, but I think it's supposed to be in the midst of when
0: everyone was losing their their Uh
1: jobs. Because they do mention like, oh, everyone's getting foreclosed on and everything like that.
0: Yeah, but that happened in 08. 09. So 08 and 09, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like, it was still difficult to find a job, but yes, it's odd that they chose to make it seem like it just happened.
0: Right. It, it, he has a reason to be grumpy, but he is just so grumpy throughout this whole entire thing. He's grumpy gosh, and that's why I may just call him through the whole movie. He go grumpy gosh. <laughs> it, it's so unlike Craig T. Nelson in the original movie. It, it's remarkable. Oh, That's another thing. The names are different. The father is named Eric. The mother is named Amy. The eldest sister is named Kendra. The son is named Griffin. The youngest sister is named Madison or Maddie, who they call her throughout.
1: And she is annoying.
0: It's really obvious they're trying to get a Heather O'Rourke vibe out of her.
1: Caroline is sweet throughout the entire film. This girl is constantly yelling and constantly bouncing off the walls and you're just like, shut the fuck up, little kid.
0: Right, and they try to do like a, they're coming, they're here thing, which would explain, trying to explain why they're here is so creepy. They need to be coming in the first place, right? Maddie, what's going on? They're coming. Who is, who is coming? here. So now that they've made it, it's the bigger deal, whatever.
1: And we didn't really touch on this in the original. Why can we hear the voice through the frequencies? Because frequencies are waves that go through the air, and yeah. so that's kind of the only way they can communicate. Whereas in this film it's all about technology. Yeah. It's like they didn't understand.
0: <laughs> right. But then, but then conversely <laughs> She talks to them through the closet, not the TV.
1: And yet they make an enormous deal about like, oh, the power lines and yeah. the iPad doing shit that you've never seen an iPad do ever. And yeah, yet they an treat iPhone. it like it's normal. Uh
0: huh. There's no e-buzz. There's no Tweety.
1: They do not share a room in this film.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: He is up in the attic.
0: Yeah, he has the attic room, and that's what really creeps him out, especially since it has like a like a, a sun.
1: Uh, it's a skylight.
0: Yeah, in, in the ceiling, in the slanted ceiling, and it's gorgeous. You know, you can look out of it from your bed. I think that's really awesome, but you can see the tree, and that really creeps him out. The sliding on the floor and the stacked chairs happen to the son, not the mother and Carol Ann. Instead, it happens to Griffin, and it's his comic books. And then they all... <laughs> Collapse to the ground and it happens outside of madison's room instead of in the kitchen every kid gets attacked while the parents are away at a dinner party that tree that he gets attacked by is not scary whatsoever it looks kind of like a badass tree <laughs> it's not gnarled and naughty and thick and like the like the original is the dad is the one that has the delusion with his face Except in this one, when they could really make that effect really something remarkable, instead they just do black goo comes out of his mouth and his eyes.
1: Oh my god, the black gunk is so stupid. Yeah. It looks terrible. It makes no sense.
0: Tangina is replaced by Jared Harris in this one, who's a just a dude that has a reality TV show, like a Ghost Hunters kind of TV show.
1: Ghost Facers! <laughs> yeah,
0: Ghost Facers. <laughs> the professor and the psychic are actually, they were in a relationship previously. They are now divorced, and that's where that connection is. You
1: didn't tell them about Cardigan Burke's hashtag.
0: Oh, yeah, I have it after this, Uh because it's not technically, like, I wouldn't call it a difference, but it is built into that thing. His television show that he has has its own hashtag, which a lot of TV shows do nowadays, and it's hashtag this house is clean. It's his catchphrase, which they turned it into. They thought they were so clever doing that. Instead of sending tennis balls into the portal, they send a drone that has a camera so we get to see everything. Uh, And they do this after they put the rope through instead of beforehand. Uh, Griffin goes into the portal to save his sister because he feels like the reason she was taken in the first place was his fault. He feels really guilty. Because
1: he left her. Yes. That was kind of a fucked up moment.
0: And uh, so he goes in after her to get her. Which... It's, it it harkens back to the original. kind of like, because
1: yeah, it harkens back to him having the original yeah. idea of what they end up doing. Yeah. I kind of liked that a little bit, but at the same time, like. She, this daughter is way more vocal about it than Carol Ann ever was. Carol Ann is very much aware of what's happening, but when her mom questions her, it's really hard to get any answers out of her. Whereas in this version, she's like, the lost people are my friends. They live here, but they don't like it. They want to go home. Why does she know all of this? Why would they tell her this? Yeah.
0: And the rest of the haunting, the, uh... The post haunting, the extra violent haunting that happens at the end, instead of happening the next afternoon slash evening, it happens immediately after everything calms down. And they're like, all right, well, we're leaving. We're going to go. Instead, it happens at this point where it grabs their van and it lifts them up and it yanks the van back into the house. Because in this one, Carol Ann, the whole point of Carol Ann's character, it's not Carol Ann, it's Maddie. Maddie's whole character is that she is the light. She's the one who takes them to the light. Like, that's the whole point they want her, is because they're lost and they can't find the light. So they steal her to take them to the light. They also, that's like a conscious decision on their part, which is a little weird.
1: They also ruin the famous shot of her putting her hands on the TV by putting in handprints of the ghosts on the television.
0: I didn't hate that. I especially liked when the mom puts her hands against the TV and the camera's inside the TV, so you just get the effect of the fingers against the glass, but you don't see the TV screen. I thought that was kind of cool. I liked that a little bit. Do we want to talk about things I liked? Because that's one of the things.
1: Go for it.
0: I love that the kid totally fucks up that clown. Okay, that's another thing that's different. The clowns don't belong to them. They were just hidden in the house and they never explain it. Yeah. They never explain it.
1: Let's just have a bunch of clowns, creepy clowns that don't look like any kid would actually want them fall. No, not fall. Well, they fall from the ceiling within the like little like cupboard room. Yeah. I
0: love tiny doors and walls. But if I were that kid, I would never open it in a million years, let alone alone and in the dark.
1: He hears like a sound and then goes and checks it out. Meanwhile, this kid screamed at his mother to put on his fucking nightlight. Yeah. And you Like, I get it. Robbie's supposed to be a coward. I understand that. But so don't make him out to be this brave soul who yeah. would ha- open up that door. And then, yeah, they all fall and no one ever knows where they came from or why they're yeah. there.
0: And this is also kind of when they introduce a demonic squirrel. Yes. It's, cool. it's like a possessed demon squirrel. So at first, it's just like a normal squirrel, but then later on, it's got like these demon eyes and stuff. It's like it's something out of Evil Dead. uh The money thing is just so stressful throughout the entire movie, where because she's not working because she's writing a book, they need to explain why they're not both working, which they didn't have to in the original because it was a little so more common. Sad. They have to explain why they don't both have a job. What has
1: happened to our economy.
0: Yeah, exactly. He is working to support her so she can stay home, watch the kids, and write a novel. Because she's a writer. But he got laid off of his job. So he is looking for one. He doesn't find one until the very end of the movie. So there's this undercurrent throughout the entire thing of money. And money not being a thing. There's even a scene where after he gets... Every one of his credit cards rejected but one when he needs to buy necessities where he just decides to go on a fucking shopping spree. That's just unexplained. Like, was he possessed? Was he like, I understand people can spend money that they don't have. But why is that a character element here? Especially immediately after he has that embarrassing moment where none of his credit cards work. They're all maxed out. And then he goes on a shopping spree and buys gifts for all of his family. And then he's like, hey, I'm trying my best. No, you're not. You're absolutely not. But it has this undercurrent of money, 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 money. They're poor. Like, fuck. Like, I understand what they're trying to do is they're trying to set up the fact that well, they don't have any other options, because the question might be, why not just get the fuck out of that house? Well, the answer's obvious, because your daughter got sucked in. That's why. Not because it's a financial consideration.
1: But again, the, the writer has seen horror movies, and it was like, huh. Oh. Most horror movies, they get stuck there because all their money's wrapped up in it. Yeah, uh I'll go with
0: that because that's what horror movies do. But here's the thing about that trope. Number one, buying a house is always a big deal, and almost everyone can't just up and leave. It doesn't have to be, we're on the verge of bankruptcy, and that's why we need to stay in this house. Like, when you invest in a house, that's a lot of money, whether you are well-to-do or not so you don't need that added money stress thing that just adds a stress to this movie. That's just like, ah, and then two, you're the ones who changed the story. The makers of this movie, you're the ones who changed the story that made it to where they're just moving into this house and it's not their original house and they're not part of a big development or anything like that. You're the ones who made that a plot point. So I'm sorry, But we had to change this part of the story to explain why they didn't just move out of this house that they just moved into. Well, how about the fact that they didn't just move into it? You didn't have to change that element, but you did. And now you have to live with the consequences. But instead, I do. Because (laughs) I'm watching this movie with this awful undercurrent through the entire thing. It just stresses people out. I did like the light in Madison's room where it gets pulled out of the bulb. And it just kind of floats to her closet. And then her walking into the closet.
1: The one thing yes, did that no, was interesting. No, it did. It was
0: excellent. Her her just voluntarily walking, walking into this portal. And it's like she walks into this closet, which you think is going to be really shallow. But it's actually really deep and really dark. So by the time she turns around, the actual door is really far away. And as she runs back to it, it closes behind her. Like, I thought that that was really cool. And it's one of the few cool things in this entire movie. Uh, oh, yeah. And then immediately after that, the reason why she can't get back to the door after it closes is that hands grabber, which is just so fucking cliche.
1: It's just like the ending of the remake of Amityville Horror with a Little Girl.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Again, I'm telling you, the writer saw a bunch of horror movies and said, that looked cool.
0: Put that in my yeah. movie. Here's the other thing. This is the fun part. She was alone when that happened. And nothing else went in that closet. And yet, they know that that's where she went in. And they never explain how they know that. Because no one was there and no one saw it. The girl just disappeared as far as they're concerned. How do they know that this is where the portal is? They just do. Uh, I do also like how they explain the two worlds separating and coming together where the professor draws two circles on a paper and puts them in front of a light and shows them aligned with each other. And this is the moment when she walked through the portal and then she separates the papers. So the two circles move apart from each other. And she's like, so now they're no longer connected. And the kid totally understands at that point. He's like, oh, so it's like the same place, but not the same place. It, like it makes sense to him, and it's a great way of explaining it. Usually it's similar along the lines of how people explain um, teleportation, you know, where you fold the piece of paper. Tesseract. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it you know, it's kind of cool. I don't like Jared Harris's acting in this. He's really good in Mad Men and Who? He's Price, Jared Harris, the psychic.
1: He's in Mad Men? Oh, he's the British one. Yeah. Okay.
0: I don't like his accent. It's kind of like half British, half American. And I don't know if he was trying to do an American accent and his British was just seeping through or what. But, I mean, he is British. So, I mean, technically he's Welsh and Irish, but he was born in England. So that kind of throws me off. Also, the story about the bodies. Dude just sort of fucking guesses that they never moved the bodies. Everyone knows from word one that there used to be a cemetery there. And when one of the guys finds out about it, he's just like, oh, they probably never moved the bodies. And that's it, goes from you moved the headstones and all of that to, ah, you know what? Yeah, they probably just never moved the bodies. I think they just told people they moved the cemetery and I think they just moved the headstones. Like, what a fucking downgrade.
1: <laughs> this entire movie is a downgrade.
0: He also knows exactly what's going on with the ghosts and what they want. Like, just there's no investigation. There's no feeling. He just knows. And then I write down, seriously, we're actually seeing into the portal. Like, I don't. Ugh. Okay. I don't hate what they do did, necessarily, but remember when they talk to Maddie, Maddie's like, Mommy, where are you? And then we see in the portal, and we see that it's all black and hands and corpses and things reaching for you, and it's like, there's no way that Maddie would be calm as fuck in that place, going, where's Mommy?
1: Look, there's only one movie, I guess two, if you count the sequel, that has done whatever you want to call it, the... Other world, what do you want to call it? Limbo. Limbo. There's Through one the movie portal. that did it well. Insidious. Insidious. Yeah. I've never seen another movie that made that look good.
0: Yeah. I agree. I 100% agree. Also, when the kids aren't breathing, there's like, there's no tension when they come out the other end because we know what's going to happen. It's not believable. When everyone looks happy at the end, I feel no relief. Like I did in the original where they're like, oh, God, good. All right, let's give them their private moment. And then Zelda says, Zelda Rubinstein says, this house is clean. Instead, we just see big grins on all their faces. And it's like, okay, I get that you would be happy, but I don't get relief out of you guys. Like that, So I, I don't, there's no resolution of any tension. And then there's no tension in the first place. So it's just like it keeps tripping over itself.
1: Yeah, I wrote, this is not scary. This is not exciting. All of the feeling that the first film has... Exactly! ...is not here.
0: Exactly. Is there anything else you want to say about this movie, Kelsey, or are we just done?
1: I feel like they made this more about the fucking son than about Carol Ann.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: They focus so much on his character and about him... Facing his fears and bravery and saving his sister because he's the reason that she got taken in the first place. And it's just like.
0: Yeah. It's not about a family. Yeah. I I did like, though, the parents talking about. I didn't like the dad being like, my kid's not into sports. Something's wrong with him. I didn't like that. But they had honest parental conversations, I would say, about like, hey, you know what? He's He's a frightened child. Right? Like and this this hap- like how are we going to deal with that like they're they're talking honestly about how their kid is not necessarily how they would want him to be and coping with that and not in a way that's like we need to fix him but like this is the reality of the way he is and so how do we work with that i i like that but it's one conversation in the entire fucking movie and that's after there's the whole my kid doesn't want to play catch <laughs> me sam rockwell
1: yeah my notes are riddled with okay dot dot dot. what was the point of that? what was that for? that was pointless just just and i I knew I had heard that this was not good, but i sure- I assure you that I hoped for the best because I love the original so much. I just hoped that they did something that was worth saving it, and they did nothing there's there's Nothing about this, which is a bummer, because I'm not saying that I don't think Poltergeist deserves to get a remake. I do think it deserves a remake. I think they could do so much with our technology now, the CG. Like, you could make a lot of the stuff in the original movie that we now look at and we're like, Yeah. Like, you could make that look scarier now, you know? And it doesn't have to be the exact same story, but if you're going to change things, have a reason for changing Yeah, it them. felt
0: rote. It felt like they were going through the motions. It felt, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so the movie ends. We didn't actually talk about how the movie ends. <laughs> the movie ends with them ultimately getting away in a different car. Like, they steal somebody's car. And they get away in it.
1: Because remember, their van got pulled into the yes, house. Yes,
0: their van got yanked into the house <laughs> as they were trying to leave. And... Jared Harris, the psychic, is like, I have to go in there. I have to get them to the light because Maddie couldn't do that. She didn't know what she was supposed to do, but that was her function. I can. And he runs into the house, and he goes into the portal. And then everything goes crazy, and then everything, the house gets destroyed. And they're looking at their GPS, and they're like, he's not here. Oh, wait, he is here. And then we see them driving away and, but as they're driving away, by the way, like things are happening in the streets and they're trying to make that like an action scene and ugh, no, thank you. And then credits. And then partway through the credits, we get Jared Harris is back on his TV show. He's doing it again. And then his ex-wife pops out and gives a bad cue. And it's a really cute scene. I thought it was really cute, but I didn't care about any of these characters. So like, Why would I care? Oh, he's still alive, and now they're doing the TV show together. The actual psychic and the professor. They're back together again. There's all of two lines about how they had a divorce. And they had this previous relationship. So, just who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares about this movie? I certainly don't. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey?
1: Ten. 31%.
0: 31%.
1: Oh my God.
0: Paying competent homage without adding anything of real value to the original Poltergeist. This remake proves just as ephemeral but half as haunting as its titular spirit. Just no. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Wrong, wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. No. Poltergeist is a classic and the consensus said as much in it. So the fact that they're calling it ephemeral now, like that, it's kind of offensive. Uh, but especially since the site itself recognizes that it's it's a classic, it's not ephemeral. So but yes, this movie is, certainly. And it is not nearly half as haunting. It says but half as haunting. No, it's one percent as haunting. And it's not competent either. It just exists. It's just a movie with no competency whatsoever, which makes it really frustrating when you have people like Sam Rockwell in it, who is a remarkable actor. Is there air? You don't know! You don't know! know. (laughs) Hey, don't open that! It's an alien planet! Is there air? You don't know!
1: (laughs) We love Sam Rockwell. This, This is a huge disappointment.
0: It really is. It really is. Metacritic of 47, cinema score of C+. What would you give it, dear Kelsey? I'll
1: give it a five.
0: Wow. It's
1: getting that five for the one scene with the lights coming out. And I'm fairly certain that I have an. I've, there's another movie that I love that does that. And I can't think of what it is. And that bothers me. Because I think if I could remember what it was, I'd probably be like, you stole that too. And I don't want it. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. I think there's another movie where lights come out like that. That I really really like. All right, and it is not Harry Potter. Please don't at me and say it's <laughs> Harry Potter because it's not. There's uh, there's I think another horror movie that there does is it. the
0: the the Deluminator. Yes, that's not what it I'm it talking is. about. Yeah, okay. I will give it a fifteen.
1: God, why?
0: Because it didn't make me as angry as Swim Fan did. Just in its pure existence right like i was i was upset because of what they did with the original but i mean the original's still there i'm not one to usually get upset about remakes that are bad right or when they adapt something and it's bad because like the original still exists i'm totally fine with the original but it didn't have the promise that winchester did in the first half of winchester no nope. uh so it, i'm not going to give it as high as winchester got but i'm not going to give it as low as swim fan got which was a 5 So I'm going to give it a 15.
1: Maybe if it hadn't tried to make one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And I totally
0: get that. I get that. Well, this was certainly an interesting double feature. One of our longest conversations we've had about any movie on our show so far, because it's one of Kelsey's absolute favorites and one of mine, too. And one of our shortest conversations. So I hope you enjoyed this episode on 1982's Poltergeist and 2015's Poltergeist Kelsey, what are we watching next week?
1: We're getting back into our recommendations. However, this might as well be Chris's week next week.
0: Eh, Kind of.
1: You love this week. I I do. I don't know why. I don't know why you don't. It is going to be another double feature. And this comes to us from Kay Graholski from Twitter. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Kay Graholski. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong.
0: Kay, we're just going to call you Kay, because we don't know what your name actually is. So we're going to call you Kay. What are we watching?
1: We are doing a double feature of The Omen.
0: Yeah. I do love The Omen. But it's not in my top... I can tell you what my top two horror movies are right now. You already did. Did I on say that on episode. the recording? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Jaws An and alien. alien.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love The Omen, though, but I, I'd i say it's one of my favorite horror movies, but not like not like where you put Poltergeist. I would say it's on the level of Poltergeist for me.
1: I Plus, don't actually know if I've ever seen the entire thing all the way through.
0: Really? Or the original? Or Or the remake, rather?
1: I don't know if I've ever seen any of the remake. I know I've seen parts of the original. I think I've seen parts of some of its sequels. But I don't think I ever saw any of the new ones.
0: With Liev Schreiber and I love Julia Leif. Stiles. I
1: love Liev Schreiber. So Yeah. Uh,
0: the first one has Gregory Gruggeripak. Which is how my mom says his name. Peck. <laughs> I'm excited for this one. I don't know if I ever... I think I saw the remake and I was just like, meh, at the time. Uh, it was a big deal because it came out on... Uh, June 6th, 2006, which was 666. (sighs) The only time in 100 years you can actually say that, I guess. So, cool, I guess. (laughs) But I I do love the original. It's got some really classic moments. For me, I would put it probably somewhere between Poltergeist and Rosemary's Baby, the original. Hmm. So I'm excited to see that. That is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com. Spell that how you like. We bought both of the ways I could think you would want to spell that. Uh, You can browse all of our episodes there, including a list of every movie we've ever done in alphabetical order with fun poster art. You can leave a comment, share your thoughts on the movies, recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at podcemetery.com. Especially lately, I've been adding a lot of comments uh, from when I'm editing the episode so you can get the extra content there. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews, as always, are the absolute best thing that you can do through that system. Better than that, though, is sharing us with your friends. And even better than that, listening in the GD first place. Thank you guys so very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris.
1: I've been Kelsey. And
0: this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words?
1: Cross over, children. All are welcome. All welcome. Go into the light. There is peace and serenity in the light. Coach. Yeah. What is Coach?
0: It's a TV show called Coach.
1: When you said Coach, I automatically thought of... purses. Old Coach from making your way in the world today, takes everything you've got.
0: Yeah, no, this is a television show that was actually called Coach, and it starred uh, M-O-O-N. That's where I know him from. (laughs) Okay, really quick, Kels. We are 45 minutes into this.
1: I don't care. This is okay. one of my favorite no, movies. No, I understand. I'm
0: just letting you know. We're going to have to keep this the the remake real short.
1: That's not going to be hard.
0: Okay. All right.
1: I'm going to basically say this movie sucks <laughs> and be done with it. Because it does. Uh-huh. Anyway, this is one of my favorites. I guess. No, no, no.
0: You can talk as much as you want about this one. Hey, I get the same for Jaws and Alien.
1: I like Jaws. Okay. I like Alien.
0: Those are two of my favorite movies. Period. Let alone horror movies. Tangina, who's played by Zelda Rubinstein.
1: the famous little person. Uh, mm-hmm. She was in this, and she was in um, Top Tap Top Witch. Top Tippity Tapity Pooty Papa. Uh, hold on. The song is Top That. She is
0: A Teen Witch. Teen Witch. You want to say that again?
1: You left the bodies, didn't you? You only move the headstones! You only move the
0: headstones! Why? Why?